Welcome back to another episode of Gay at Ford. And guess what, guys? I still don't know shit. <laughs> and so... today, probably neither of us do. Because why? We're both white and stupid. I think we're both very white and very stupid. Yes. I, I'm going to give you the benefit of being slightly less white and slightly less stupid than me. So today we have someone to help us with that. Who, uh, My good friend, Jose Gallegos, who will be teaching us about Latinx culture in the gay community. And there is a lot of juicy telenovela stuff to go down. I like, really want to start looking up telenovelas now. <laughs> oh, it's it's a haul that like hundred something episodes. Like, I mean, either I'm gonna start watching them or I'm just gonna constantly like nag Jose now. Jose, just get me on the phone and just tell me about a telenovela. Yeah. Just spin me the yarn, please. Yeah, that is exactly what happened with me. I just had him <laughs> recap all of it because I could not sit through all of it. <laughs> Oh, uh, but no, but he, he's super fun, and it's a, it's a real fun conversation. So yes, come ride the rainbow with us as we explore and learn together. Yay! Yay, because after all, we're what? Educational. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag educational podcast. Yep. <laughs> so... How do you are you are you, how are you supposed to pronounce like um, the when they write it la, like Latin X? Oh, it's just Latin X. Latin X. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I am, as you'll discover, very ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I blame that mostly on my extreme whiteness. Chris is the most white. That's fair. I'm wearing Batman socks right now, just in case that wasn't clear. My whiteness. See, I'm wearing Hanes cool socks. Ah, see, you're so much cooler than I am. Adidas. (laughs) Yeah, from my Batman socks and my completely black, white, and gray color palette in my apartment. There's absolutely no color in here whatsoever, except that giraffe. Except for the giraffe. Yes. In your very white, white apartment. Yeah, it's it's about the most white place possible. Uh, you can't see it, but around the corner of my kitchen, there's a massive picture of Al Gore on my wall. There's a story behind that, but I'm not going to go into it now. I'm very curious about this. Um, but yeah, so okay, so I've I've heard the term Latin X. So forgive me, this is a super ignorant question, but is... But that's why we have Jose here. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So is it referred to Latinx because is that a way to basically put a broad blanket term over like Latino and Latina or... Yeah, so basically like with any kind of language structure, it's more patriarchal and more skewing towards kind of male-dominated society. Shocking. Binary gender norms. So... Mm-hmm. In more of the romance languages, so like French and Spanish, you have these kind of genders towards words. So like a chair is feminine yeah, versus a table being masculine, which <laughs> yep. makes absolutely remember, no sense. I remember some of my French. <laughs> Actually, if, and plus if you think about it, if you think about the interaction between chairs and tables, it really should be the other way around. Like chairs are going underneath the table like just slotting in there real conveniently someone messed that up real bad (laughs) but with latinx it's a way of not creating that you either have to be male or female but just kind of a broad spectrum of this is a newer generation but it's kind of encounter to once you learn about latin culture it's much more machismo and more I don't want to say misogynist, but I'm going to say misogynist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> say misogynist. It's 2019. We're calling people out on shit. 
it's like what what about the culture do you find to be very misogynistic or machismo focused oh there's definitely a dominant conservative through line so because very catholic right yeah Yeah. the catholics and the thing that people don't understand (laughs) when when a lot of people say i can't believe that you know a mexican is a trump supporter Mm -hmm. when you are a mexican you can realize like yeah i believe it like it, like the Republican Party kind of observes the ideals of some of the more conservative Mexicans. Oh, okay. And some of them, like, they don't believe in abortion. They believe in family values. They believe in religion. So all the things that Trump himself believes in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I do find it I do find it interesting because I do hear a lot of like stories somewhat similar to your own, where like I there is that kind of like um, I feel like a lot of Latin families have this very kind of like ride or die thing where it's like um, a lot of my other friends who have come out who are uh, Latin next are um, like, they have very good relationships with their parents still. Maybe not their like dad, but like their mom and like at least the female part of their um, family. So, well, that's, that's the strange thing. And I'll just, I'll just qualify one thing. You don't come out as Latinx. You just identify as Latinx. <laughs> it's more like a cultural term. Cause I don't say that like I'm Latinx. I just say Latino. Cause mm-hmm. it's just easy for my brain to process. <laughs> yeah, that's why but, I, had, I had like a small aneurysm more of like, what do I say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I personally say Latino, but other people say Latinx cause mm-hmm. it's just a cultural thing to yeah. say. Um, but what I notice about families is that it's usually more your mother or your grandmother that's more supportive to you if you're gay, even though they have a lot of questions. So like my mom, when I came out to her, and so the story about my coming out is that I came out to her, I wrote, I'm gay on a Jack in the Box receipt and I gave it to her. I remember this story. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. So I gave it to her, and the first thing that she asked me, or the first thing she told me was, but you don't look gay. And I said, there's no one way to look gay. And she was like, yeah, but I don't see you out there with like a pink feather boa. And I said, that's not necessarily, I mean, some people do it. (laughs) Why not? Yeah. But uh, in terms of, because my family is predominantly female, most of them were supportive of me, but obviously they skewed towards asking me questions. So, like, my aunt asked me if I wanted to go see the Sex and the City movie right after I came out to her. That's so sweet. (laughs) But then you get the counter to that, which is my grandma just saying, like, are you psychologically sure about this? Because we could get you tested. And I was like, there's no real test to say that I'm gay. (laughs) Like, it's just kind of, I know that I'm gay. (laughs) And throughout my grandma's life, we had our ups and downs, and we had a huge falling out after my mom died. But, Mm -hmm. um, she resented me for a lot of that time, but she would also secretly like be on my side and be worried about me and concerned yeah. and just want to make sure that everything's all right. And there's this kind of duality with women, especially in Latinx cultures, that they'll say one thing, but they'll also turn around and kind of like secretly, covertly try and help you with whatever's going on. And it's it's weird, but with the men, it's more upfront, like. With my grandpa, we couldn't tell him up front that I was gay, even mm-hmm. though he had his suspicions. But because he was of that machismo culture and liked to make fun of being gay, 
we were always afraid. Like, no, we're not. We're not going to tell. <laughs> we're just going to ignore. We're just going to skirt around this. It's like, what? What were some of the other questions that you got, though? Um, well, from my two sisters, my one middle sister, she asked me, how much lube is too much lube? <laughs> <laughs> what, what was your answer to that? Like, I what said, I don't know. <laughs> I'm still a virgin. So you can ask me in like maybe a year. <laughs> and, and the same sister also came up to me once. And she just said, you know, I tried it once and it really hurt. And I just told her, maybe it's not for you. Maybe, maybe you know, sometimes you should just not do it. And she was like, yeah, but like, I just want to practice in case. I was like, just don't do it. Like, just, just steer clear of that one. I feel like I always hear those stories from like, from women where they're like, I tried it. It wasn't nice. I'm like. Maybe not for you then. Maybe like, not for I you. Yeah. Also, you have a dedicated hold just yeah. for that. <laughs> like, you, you are literally meant to have a different form of sex. Exactly. <laughs> Necessity breeds invention here. Yeah. Like, my God. <laughs> That's such a how much lube. She she asked me how much lube. Was that like literally the first question she asked you after you came out? What? Yep. Yep. Which side note, my other favorite story are like <laughs> are the straight guys who don't, who like want to try anal and then they don't know about cleaning out. And they're like, yeah, it got really messy. I'm like, look, how do you guys do it? I'm like, well, <laughs> uh, diet, <laughs> diet, <regiment>. fiber, <laughs> a hose <laughs> attachment. I don't, what else do you want? It's a whole process. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this isn't an, a spur of the moment thing. Yeah. It's called being prepared. God. Things are going to happen on a whim. Be ready for them. Oh, yeah. You need a tight turnaround. If, yeah. if yeah. something's gonna happen, I need an hour. <laughs> Someone's told me there are there are people who like consider who are like have strict diets and consider them, themselves always prepared bottoms. Like they're like strictly vegan or like like vegetarian. ever bottoms. Like what? Ever bottoms? Ever bottoms? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's what gotta the, be a term for that. Just like ever ready. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was like, that cannot be possible. Yeah. How? <laughs> Find those people, get them on this podcast. Yeah. I want to know how I they do it. I want to know what that yeah. regimen is like. Oh. You, you just need a self-cleaning system. Yeah. <laughs> like you need an internal bidet. That's just like, a, <laughs> I got to prepare for tonight. Let me just press a button. Yeah, exactly. Mm, all right. Good to go. Good to go. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so like. What um what kind of other questions did your your family ask you when you came out? Also, when did you come out? So I came out, I believe it was two thousand and eight because I had just started college in two thousand seven. Okay. And so I went home for the summer and I was with my mom. I remember I had known, and a lot of people tell me you couldn't have known that early, but since I was four years old and my mom introduced me to Melrose Place, I kept on thinking. <laughs> All, all those white gentlemen are very attractive. <laughs> and so I knew that something was up. And even my mom, 
wouldn't really understand clues. Like she even got me the auto, not autobiography because she couldn't have written it. She got me the biography <laughs> of Judy Garland and I did that as a book report and she still had no idea. <laughs> no idea. Well, when you went to school dressed as Julie Garland to give the presentation, that should have been a giveaway. I actually but... did. <laughs> did you? Did you? <laughs> yeah. I did. I was like, don't put that past them. <laughs> I actually did. Like, how, what <laughs> form of Judy Garland? Exactly. Okay, so it was from A Star Is Born and it was when she was dressed as that tramp saint. So like when she starts crying and talking about how much she hates herself, that that was the scene that I took inspiration from. So I dressed up for that presentation. Dressed also, up. maybe a sign. <laughs> maybe just a little. Just oh. a teeny tiny just one. Just a little bit. But yeah, the family just kind of asked me general questions about like, how do you know you haven't had sex yet? Can't, did somebody touch you? I love you? how that's the teller. How do you know you haven't had sex yet? Yeah. Like that's magically going to make a difference. Well, they just <laughs> they just inevitably thought that like somebody touched me and that like you know from like there a good sprouted. Family <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, the funny thing is, we're I'd say we're lapsed Catholic, but. Also, my grandma raised some of them Mormon. Well, most of them Mormon. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. what? How, wait, how, do, how does that work? Well, <laughs> when, the, when those gentlemen in those nicely pressed shirts come up to your door and knock and say, have, have you heard the word of God yet? <laughs> you were like, no, please tell me more. Yeah, my grandma was just like, yeah, let's check it out. And so for it some of them. It was those short sleeve white shirts, just drew her in. Yeah, it, she, she liked it and she was interested in it. And for my older aunt, um, she was more drawn to it and mm -hmm. ended up marrying a mormon man they moved to utah lived there for a long time but inevitably both of them were conservative and identify as republican her children however are very much liberal and very much not of the same persuasion like i told both of my cousins before i told her and once i said like okay you can tell my aunt they told her she had problems, but not mm -hmm. ones that she necessarily wanted to vocalize. Okay. And so it was a lot of like, but he doesn't seem gay. So like, how did I not know all these years? And like, I took him to Disneyland and I still didn't know. And it's like, what? 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 <laughs> Probably because Disneyland is inherently very gay in itself. So, but also she took us to Disneyland around Christmas time when everybody and their mother are there. Oh, and so that we'd is have to stay gay. from yeah. 8 AM till 2 AM. Naturally. In yeah. the freezing cold, Naturally. waiting in lines for everybody. So I, I enjoyed that they took me and paid for everything. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, can I get a break? Can I like <laughs> sit on this bench and yeah. sleep for a little can bit? Can I sit? You will sit on the ride? <laughs> I remember that would be that would be the excuse my parents would give me. Can I sit? You will sit when we get on the ride. I'm yeah. like, okay. Yeah. To this How day, dare you ask? To this day, I still don't like parades because now I'm like, why do we sit for a parade when now everyone's there and the rides have no lines? Oh, the parades are never worth it. No. Never. Never. Are. Never worth it. No. If anything, the parade's going on, you run to the furthest corner of the park. Although I will say, I forget what it was called, but that last one they had about two years ago, which was like all the glowing... Oh, the, like the, the electric lights. light Yeah. Thing. At the very end, they had this section of like, I don't know, 
boys spinning something and they were all very <clears throat> attractive. Oh, yeah. Like, I think, I think I've actually... And I was like, this is my favorite part. Yeah. I, I have watched that parade once. And again, it was a couple of years ago. I was with my family and so they actually wanted to watch parade. This is my cousin too. He's like eight. So, okay, we'll sit and watch the parade, watch the fireworks. And as I'm watching, I'm just looking at all the dancers going, gay. <laughs> yeah, gay, right. <laughs> gay. Get a uh, straight... No, no, sorry. Gay. <laughs> It's like my my gaydar is like blaring during those parades. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, it's more convenient to switch it to a straight dar. Yeah, it's basically almost a pride parade. I know. I just want to follow them. Like, where are you guys going? <laughs> oh. Goodness. Do you need help getting out of this light harness that you're wearing? I've heard I've heard that behind the scenes, it's a very incestuous. Yes, I've heard that as well. As as to be expected. Yeah. Lots of downtime. What are you gonna do? You're I'll all fit dancers. Yeah. Everyone. Everyone's gay and has a fitting room. I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need my own fitting room. <laughs> yeah. Do, Disney provides their own branded lube. It's great. Disney. But how much do you use? I don't That's know. The question. <laughs> I've never asked that question. <laughs> okay, wait. So I, I am curious, though. What was the thought process behind writing I'm gay on a jack-in-the-box receipt and handing that to your mom? Okay, so the... The problem I had was like, I can't, I couldn't vocalize it to my mom. Mm -hmm. I could tell all my friends and I did tell all my friends before I told my mom because it was just easier to lose them than it was to lose my mom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when it came time to tell her, (laughs) she, she had to go to the doctor to go get tests for something that could have potentially been life threatening. And she was worried. And so I went up to her room and I was like, I'm going to tell her, I'm going to tell her. And then I stood in her doorway and she was putting on her makeup and she had her hair tied up in a towel. And she looked at me and she just had this eyebrow pencil and she was like, can I help you with something? (laughs) I just looked, I was like, do you, you want a coffee from Jack in the Box? And she was like, sure, sure. And so we lived in Baldwin Park and I drove down to the Jack in the Box, which was like two minutes away. I just was sitting in my car and I was like, okay, I got to tell her, but I can't tell her because I'm so afraid of telling her. What can I do? And then I was holding on to this like crumpled Jack in the Box receipt. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to write it on here and just hand it to her. And I gave it to her. You have a coffee and a gay son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I gave it to her and then she just kind of looked at it and she looked at me. She inevitably changed the story and she was like, I read it and I saw that it said, I'm gray. And I thought that did not happen because you clearly responded back to me. We're like, but you don't look gay. And I was like, but I'm just going to let her have her little fantasy right now. Aww. So she, the way that she described it was like, she didn't initially believe it because she was worried about me. But the way that I describe it in realistic terms is like she didn't necessarily accept it on the initial outset, but slowly she grew to accept it and to become like one of my major proponents and my biggest defendants. Because for the longest time, my mom lived a self-destructive life mm-hmm. and it wasn't until that she had me that she actually tried to change. And like my family will attest to this, that it was it was my birth that changed everything for her. So she was just overly protective of me. Mm-hmm. And especially when I became, when I became gay, <laughs> <laughs> when you flipped the switch, <laughs> when I came out to her, it was just kind of like, she understood how cruel the world is towards people who are not inherently white and heteronormative. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that Paris is burning thing where it's like, you've got one knock against you because you're black. You've got one knock against you because you're gay. You've got one knock against you because you're a Mexican in a white dominated society and you've got another knock against you because you're gay. So 
she didn't want these things compounding me because it's just going to be a complicated life. And I just told her, yeah. like, I'm going to live my life the way that I need to. If there are any problems, obviously, I have you to support me. But I need to figure out what I got to figure out in order to be happy. And this is part of the process of accepting who I am and letting you know who I am. And I told her, this is only a small part of me. Like, it doesn't completely define me. Yeah. Jonathan would probably say it does define me <laughs> with all the wigs and all the dresses. Little... <laughs> <laughs> but the wigs and the dresses, that's just for fun. I mean, that's not... For extreme fun. For and extreme don't forget fun. the jumpsuit. Don't <laughs> forget <laughs> the jumpsuit. Yes. And, oh, God, I, just, I still miss that series you did on Instagram where you would just take, like the like classic photos of like starlets and stuff and then recreate them. Oh, my imitation game. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, wait, what's your Instagram handle? I'm, I have to look this up on air. So, it sounds amazing. I don't know if I have it up anymore, but it would be under the imitation game and there were a bunch of underscores and I don't remember how I placed it. I think it was like the imitation game on, or no, the imitation underscore game. And I think I brought it back up, but it might be deactivated, but I don't know. <laughs> this sounds incredible. But I was definitely a bathing beauty sometimes. <laughs> I was definitely beautiful. <laughs> and all those pictures were taken either in the bathroom or in my kitchen. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it right off the bat. So I'm going to have to go hunting this down. Um, uh, but like what? So... Take us, take us through like your experiences, like just what the differences between experiencing, obviously, like obviously you've experienced what gay white culture is, if there is such a thing, and then you know gay Latino culture, and sort of that experience. Well, the the funny thing is, is that when you are gay Latino and a male you kind of are automatically perceived to be a bottom which i don't it's just an inherent thing where people kind of think that you are is that all across the board or just in latin culture mainly in latin culture but Hmm. i'm sure in you know white dominated society they probably perceive you as a bottom because you get that stereotype of you being loud and you being a caricature but Another thing that I forgot to mention is that most of my family were concerned that I was a bottom. (laughs) And most of my family would tell me actively, like, if you are gay, make sure that you're giving, that you're not receiving. (laughs) To which I wouldn't respond to that. (laughs) I'd just be like, okay, whatever you're saying. (laughs) Sure, sure. Well, secretly, you you already know my orientation. (laughs) What, like... What was their specific concern? Like, was it was their concern grounded in understanding, or was it just grounded in like assumption? It's more in that machismo culture, okay? Because it's kind of it's a weird. I'm gonna say like a prison mentality where it's mm, like, okay, I'm not gay because I had sex with a man. I'm if you're gay, then you're more associated with the bottom. Whereas in Latin culture, because there's such a high prevalence of machismo, if you're the one that is the top, you're kind of seen as more masculine because okay. you're doing what, you know, God intended you to do. Whereas <laughs> if, you're, <laughs> if you're the bottom, <laughs> you're just kind of perceived as the word, and I'm probably going to mispronounce it because my Spanish is bad, is uh, maricón which is just kind of like 
a way to say faggot mm. in Spanish. So you're just kind of perceived as this other. You're not necessarily a man. You're more a female. And that's the way, that's the perception that people have of you. So the, the issue isn't necessarily gay or not. It's the issue is being more feminine. Yeah. Uh, 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 well. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I, 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 I'm like, fuck it. As you both cross your legs. Yeah, I know. I'm like, <laughs> like, oh, well. I know. My legs are crossed and spread across almost an entire couch. Anything like that I was ever told is I remember, like, sitting <clears throat> as I am, like, cross legged at something one day, and my stepbrother being like, don't cross your legs like that. And I was like, what? Why? Like, <laughs> no, you have to sit like this with your legs as spread wide, wide as apart. possible. <laughs> There, I got it. <laughs> this See, is so much more masculine. Also, I'm pulling a muscle. This hurts. <laughs> and then it, I remember at one like dinner or something, it became a game because I was so irritated with him where he would like push my leg down and I would like to do it again. <laughs> See, I would have gone a different route. If they told me not to cross my legs, I would just say like, oh, you're right. I got to do the Princess Diaries thing. Where oh, you gotta yeah, sit tuck, to the tuck side. it behind the ankle? <laughs> yes. And I told them, like, crossing your legs is for whores. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, Jose, you, so you grew up in L.A.? Or near L.A.? Where did you say you grew up? Oh, I grew... Okay. It so, sounded like you said Europe and yeah, L.A. I heard, I Europe heard and Europe L.A. Well. You yes. grew up in L.A. <laughs> yes, all over Europe and Los Angeles. Europe and L.A. Which do you prefer? <laughs> um, I grew up primarily in Southern California. So my trajectory is from Latino to white culture to Latino to kind of mixture. So I, live, I was born in L.A., mm-hmm. I grew up in Pasadena, moved to Simi Valley, then to Northridge, then to Woodland Hills, then to Baldwin Park, Temple City, or no, Arcadia, then Temple City, then Baldwin Park again, then L.A. proper for college, and then I've just lived here ever since. Okay, yeah, so oh, Pasadena, very white, my God. Um, so like, what, what has your experience been... Like as an adult dealing with LA gay culture, because it's, I mean, from my perspective, it seems pretty white, but then again, oh, it's extremely white. Yeah, it's like, I hate to say it, but it feels like it gets whiter. Well, especially if you're going to West Hollywood. And that was my introduction to kind of LA gay culture, because when I came out, it was my sophomore year and I had found my group of friends. And Mm -hmm. so we were going more frequently to WeHo, specifically to Tiger Heat, which. If you've been to Tiger Heat. I haven't either, Chris. So like, I know what it what, is, but I what, haven't been. What is Tiger Heat? Okay, so Tiger Heat is like down closer to Hollywood. Um, it's primarily twinks, white twinks. They're just dancing the night away to pop songs. And it was around the time that Lady Gaga was coming out. So like that was predominantly the playlist that they would always play. Because it, okay. it, it was like, what, 18 and up or something? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it, yeah. it's an it, 18 and up club. Does this place still exist? I think it does. I'm not 100% sure. I haven't been back since like 2009. Yeah, I don't know if it's still around. I know, I know when I moved out here and I had heard about it, it kind of like bounced around. So like, oh, it's going to be Tiger Heat Night at the Abbey. Oh, it's going to be Tiger Heat Night at Mickey's. Like, that kind of thing. Like, yeah. it w- wasn't stationary the last time I... But it was definitely there. And the the only kind of comparison that. that I had to it was... 
don't know if you guys were here for when Arena existed. No. No. Oh, my God. Arena. Okay. For (laughs) for any of these listeners who have been to Arena, Arena... So Tiger Heat is like this pristine white people place that just like seems so clean, so classy, and so slutty. When you go to (laughs) Arena, it's just like, not necessarily that you feel like there are roaches, but... It feels kind of skanky. Like you, you, if you saw one, you wouldn't be surprised no, or I shocked. Would, You'd be like, I would "Oh, where be have you been all night?" <laughs> and I had never been to a place like that. And in counter to that, you just see a lot more diversity. And it's just surprising to see that because you go from a place that's just playing pop songs nonstop to a place that you know we'll play rap we'll play r&b we'll play whatever the night away and people just dancing like they don't care like it, it was great as well as being very skanky <laughs> <laughs> but well things can be both great and skanky look at jonathan i know right hey <laughs> but also also coming out around the time when you're getting stuff like adam for adam and grinder and scruff like all that you start to notice it more frequently how white gay culture is. Mm-hmm. And though most people don't like to admit it, they do skew towards a preference of I'm a white male looking for a white male or I'm a person of color looking for a white male. And you don't, you get passed up a lot. And especially not to kind of self-deprecate, but when you look average and you don't really categorize yourself according to certain boxes, like mm-hmm. I could never call myself a twink. I couldn't call myself necessarily a bear. So I'm just kind of in this in-between like otter position, I guess. Uh, I, I, I fluctuate between <laughs> like what exactly I can be. There's a, a term that I'm going to claim I came up with recently called an in-betwink. I'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're one of those. Now, now she's making up words. We just taught her words. Now she's making them up. All right. Great. <laughs> so when you're one of those. I learned quickly. <laughs> people don't really necessarily know how to approach you or right. whether you are something that they desire mm-hmm. unless it becomes something that's more fetishistic. So like Jonathan and I have some mutual friends who are on the more attractive side. And can categorize according to certain checked off boxes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so <laughs> they're they're able to get more attention. Whereas me, when I was single, it was just like, okay, I guess I'm just like doing my solo thing. Just, just <laughs> dancing the night away. <laughs> and then you do a death drop. And then I do a death drop. My rackety, <laughs> rackety ass death drop. Now, would the death drop at least garner some attention? Be like, oh, look at that death drop. Garner- his, his death drop, yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I can't do a death drop because I'm too afraid that I'm going to hit my head. So what I do, I'll kind of give a demonstration just so that you can see. But, you know, this isn't a visual medium. But it's basically I just slide myself on the floor and say I'm doing a death it's drop. It's a very so. slow split. Okay, all right. Li- live on air. Let's so see. It's basically Jonathan, he'll be in the <laughs> <laughs> right in the middle of a club. I love it. A dirty ass club <laughs> yeah. that probably has a bunch of feet. Yeah, you get you put yourself on that floor. Yeah. <laughs> were, were you doing this at arena? No. Okay. No, no. This is fairly. This hasn't been in like the last three years that this has 
come up. <laughs> no, if I did at Arena, I would be afraid. I would, I would have a You'd host have of diseases. <laughs> there would be a host of diseases. <laughs> so, um, so did you use Grinder for a while? Or have you used Grinder? Like, what was your experience like using that? Uh, so, I used Grinder for most of college, and it was—I'm sure you've experienced this before—that love-hate relationship where you're just like oh, I'm going to find the love of my life and I'm going to hook up with a bunch of hot guys. And then like you don't get as much attention or you're oversaturated with attention. You're yes. like, I'm getting rid of it because I'm <laughs> going to be independent. And then you get rid of it and you're like, damn, I'm horny. I need grinder again. <laughs> I'm and horny. I want attention. I think my thing now is like I, I've been feeling the oversaturated bit, but like I'm... It's that thing of like not even... I mean, I don't know other people have experienced this, but like, it's like an oversaturation of just trash. Like, it's like for every, it's like for every 15 guys that message me, like I'll maybe be attracted to one. Oh yeah. I just delete left and right. And it's I'm like, just like, care. I'm like, great. And like, and I find like when I use scruff, I actually get like not oversaturated, but I get more of the kind of stuff I like. Mm -hmm. So I've like been like, doing like, very close to deleting it, but I'm going Look, back and forth between that. <laughs> even because Grindr skews more towards that ideal of this like buff white guy, you get a lot more buff white guys. It's like again, yeah. it's like yeah. going from Tiger Heat to Arena, and like they... going from Grinder to Scruff. Scruff is just like, oh my god, there's a variety of people out there. There are bears that exist. Yeah. <laughs> I did not realize there this. are bears in the wild. <laughs> Grinder is like buff white guys and twinks and everything vanilla like yeah and even and then some strange shut shit too like yeah i get like the weirdest requests on grinder and it's not even like fetish stuff it's like can you like come and blow me while like in my garage while my wife's like next door i'm like what though i will say okay it wasn't on scrub it was on adam for adam which ladies i don't really suggest you do adam for adam because that is a lot more skankier but there was one guy that I connected with and he was talking about meeting up and he was like, Oh, do you do, do you like cam? And I was like, sure. Cause I had never done it. So I was like, okay, I'm game for whatever. <laughs> yeah. so That's then, always response. I don't know what that is. So yes. <laughs> so then we just turned our, turned on our cameras and I just kind of waved to him. And then he <laughs> was like, he'd started typing. It was like, hold on one second. Um, he left for a little bit. He came back. He had a plate that had some shit on it. Ah! And then he just no. put it in front of the camera. He was like, okay, now you can you can jerk off to it. And I just looked at it. Uh, I looked uh, at myself in the mirror. And I looked back at the camera. <laughs> I was just like, we're turning this off right now. You had this like existential crisis. No. Like, what what decisions have I made in my life that have brought me to this moment? Oh God! I was like, no, no, we're closing that now. We're oh. shutting that down. Does he serve food on that plate? Does Whoa. he have a dedicated plate? I I don't want to know that. No, I have so many follow up logistics questions that I'll never get answers oh, to. Never. Well, like, did you have you found that? people do fetishize you though. Like have, oh, you, yeah. have you had a hard time like being able to differentiate someone's interest based on what they're actually looking for? 
Definitely. Um, I even make fun of my boyfriend now, and I tell him, the only reason you're with me is because I'm brown. And he's like, no, no, there are other aspects of you I like. And I was like, yeah, but primarily brown. <laughs> and so he'll make fun of me, and he's like, well, the only reason you're with me is because I'm white. And I'm like, yeah, but fetishization is whoever's in power. Like, I can fetishize you, but I'm not the dominant one. I'm not the one that has all that cultural clout. You fetishizing me is just like you're a white man who likes a, a brown booty, so you know. <laughs> there, there goes that. <laughs> Wait, so how long have you been with your boyfriend? Oh, we are going on six years. She's committed. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> She's committed. Oh, Roth. I mean, I don't understand the concept, but I applaud you. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, some days you want to kill her. <laughs> Definitely, definitely want to commit murder and just like, how can I get away with this? Um, when I told him to get an Apple TV, he asked so many questions about it. And was just like, but can you program Rachel Maddow on there for me? I was like, there's no programming. Like, you just get yeah. the app. Wait, and you just, he, I, he was like, but it's just like a cable package. Like, I just what? choose which channels I want. I was like, you choose which apps you want. And he was like, but I have so many questions. I was like, I'm not going to answer them right now. Just get the damn Wait, thing. Read the instructions. Hang on, he's white and doesn't understand how an Apple TV works? No. no. Man, he's, he's a, a bad white. Girl. He's a special girl. It wasn't <laughs> until I got with him that he actually got Wi-Fi. <laughs> Was he using dial-up? No, he didn't he doesn't have a computer or anything. So and I told him, if you get Wi-Fi, you can use an Apple TV. And he was just like, how does that work? Is and I was like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not explaining any more things to you. Just get the thing. We'll set it up, and then you'll figure it out. Is he that. a Luddite? Like, does he call you on a CB radio? I'm so confused right now. <laughs> the joke I tell amongst my friends, because most of them haven't seen him, Jonathan's seen him. It's it's does. one of those rare sightings where it's like I see a Bigfoot in the woods and it's like, <laughs> okay, it does exist. But I just tell everybody like it's like a George Glass situation. Like he doesn't exist, but I'm just saying he's my boyfriend. It's one of those things where it's like we've made plans to do stuff and sometimes he shows up and sometimes he doesn't. And okay. it's kind of like, oh Ross is here. Like, hey. Also, can I ask what what's the George Glass reference? Uh, have you watched the Brady Bunch? Oh, so when, yes. when Jan wanted to seem more popular, she told everybody she had a boyfriend named George Glass. Didn't, didn't they? Because that was from the show, right? Or did they? They did it in the show, and then they, but they also did it in a very Brady sequel. Okay, that's why it sounds familiar. And that right. one is even better because Marsha reacts with, she's like, that's funny. I never knew of a George Glass at our skill. <laughs> skill? <laughs> now... Here's uh, here's a question, just because I know it comes up a lot between friends and people and stuff like that. But like, is there a difference? Because I know that with the gay community, there's a whole debate of like not of having a quote unquote preference of like no Asians or like that's just my preference and stuff like that. Is there is there a line between having no preference and then fetishization? I can't say it. Fetishization. Fetishization of Fetishization. You know, because it's like, I have that situation where sometimes like I'll like a person of color and then it, I have to go through the, am I fetishizing them or do I like them? Or like, how is that? What is there a difference or is, is it just because being white, it tends to be. 
I don't necessarily think that there's a difference because it's more so how you're programmed. Because the way that I was taught in film school, and especially with women in film, is fetishization is just kind of breaking them down into certain components that you overly emphasize or you overly, like, are able to gain some kind of pleasure from them. So, like, if you notice a woman in film, she'll be broken down into things like her legs or her boobs or, in some <clears throat> cases, her vagina or something that where it's just <gasps> like Gasp. you're not necessarily fixating on her as a whole. You're fixating on that one component of her. And so I think that our preferences are based on the kind of media that we consumed and why I say that like I fetishize white men is because as I said before, my mom introduced me to Melrose place. <laughs> and so when you, when you only see white people on TV, it's just like, okay, that's like an ideal. That's something that's sexy. That's something that's attractive, which is why like I'm more problematic because I don't necessarily and haven't necessarily data outside of the realm of white men. Like mm -hmm. I would occasionally hook up with somebody. I once in one encounter slept with a black guy, but that's, that's about it. <laughs> and it's problematic and I can recognize that, but I can't really overcome it because that's just the way that my mind is programmed. Hmm. Interesting. So then what elements of kind of queer culture and like TV and cinema influence you then? Like where? Selena. Selena. <laughs> Selena. Yeah. Like I, I only knew her because of the Jennifer Lopez movie. And my grandma had watched it one day. And I remember <laughs> seeing it and I was just like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. So in Latin culture, when you are, immediately inundated with it and you are watching those telenovelas those tv shows you are in the know with most other people like you have things that you can kind of come together and collectively adore selena was a cultural moment for mexicans specifically because it was a time when somebody was able to cross over from the threshold of just being like a Mexican star mm -hmm. and she's not even Mexican. She's of Mexican descent, but mm -hmm. she's Tejano. So when she was able to cross over from just singing primarily Spanish songs to actually winning a Grammy and like going into mainstream pop culture, it was a big moment. And so then when she died, that was an even bigger moment because it was the loss of an icon. It's kind of like on RuPaul's Drag Race, you have Valentina, Valentina. who is kind of Chris pay attention <laughs> she's Fair. this she's this big deal because on RuPaul's Drag Race if you notice in terms of Latin culture there's not much representation you're either a Puerto Rican queen or you're not I actually noticed that after she was on yeah and the only other Mexican queen that we had was I think Delta work like Roxy Andrews is also Puerto Rican which I just discovered what is not. what is uh Vanjie I'm guessing she's Puerto Rican as well, but I'm not 100% sure, so I can't be quoted. But Valentina was all about the drama and all about her Mexicanness. And so when she came up, one of our mutual friends, Marshall, was telling me in All Stars 4, like, oh, you're rooting for Valentina. I said, no. I'm not rooting for Valentina because she's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I love Valentina because similar to Selena, you don't get that representation that often. You don't get that Mexican-ness. You get the Puerto Rican-ness. You get 
occasionally like some Dominican, occasionally some Asian, but primarily white. Very rarely you get that Mexican. And she delivered on so many fronts just in terms of her looks and her <laughs> drama and all of that. She just played into the fantasy. Yeah. So you Clearly. just <laughs> you just kind of take what you can get, even though she's extremely problematic. And like even on this season, I don't think that there are any other Mexican queens. I don't think so. Not no. at least so, not from my recollection. Just to fit into my own stereotype here, knowing nothing about Drag Race, what makes Valentina so problematic? She's crazy. <laughs> yeah. She, she, like, how so? She just... I, I, so I was listening to some YouTube review channel, which I will not name the name of. Because <laughs> there, I also inherently have some problems, but I still watch it. Uh-huh. But they were talking about Valentina. It's Logan Paul. <laughs> oh, God. No. They were talking about Valentina, and they were just saying, like, she's like an Alexa. So, like, if you say her name, she'll automatically just pop up and be a part of the conversation. But the moment you talk about anything else, she just goes back to sleep. And, like, she's just completely about herself. And even in... I've heard friends who have gone to meet and greets or, like, to go see her perform. Mm -hmm. And they just say she's extremely late. When she comes on stage, she does one song. Then she leaves. She rarely like interacts with her fans. She's just a very problematic person. And even the queens that were on her season talked about how much they didn't like her because she didn't want to interact with anybody. She was more so just about the image that she was purporting mm-hmm. rather than about actually being a nice queen. Uh, oh. Well, well, well. That's so interesting. So I, I guess I hadn't really thought about that before in terms of when you have such limited representation you are kind of in some ways like stuck with what you get like you you have to kind of identify with her but also find her problematic and you have to I imagine kind of walk a line a little bit in that regards like okay here's the good things here's the bad things because there's fewer places to go i guess in terms of finding that same representation yeah, it, it's even the same with gay culture because jonathan and i have had frequent conversations where we talk about gay movies where it's just like, you rarely get a good gay movie. Yeah. Like you yeah. get no, maybe one yeah. or two a year. Thankfully we're getting more. Yeah. yeah. But before in like the, that nineties era and early two thousands, it's like you got whatever it was, they gave it you. It was Will and Grace. It was Queer as Folk. And that's what you had. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, like that was it. And maybe real sex late night on HBO, but that was basically Mostly what, or MTV's undressed. That, <laughs> yes, yes, MTV's undressed. <laughs> or like I also considered MTV's Spring Break because there was a lot of male nudity during those Spring Breaks. Yeah, I guess. So. Yeah, I, yeah. Th- it wasn't took, as good, but like you took whatever you could get, and you would hope that one day it would cross over into the boundary of actually being legitimate and good. And mm-hmm. I think we had kind of a watershed moment when Brokeback Mountain happened. Which is always my funny thing, because some people are like, it's not that good. I'm like, well, you say that now because there's more. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and I had one person um, was commenting about GBF when it came out and was just saying, oh my God, it's so terrible that people are trying to give it an R rating so that younger people can't watch it. And I had told that person, well, it's not the greatest movie. It's not the best thing that ever happened. It's a fine movie. Also, I've met What's-His-Face, Michael... Willett? I I forget his name. Have you seen United States of Terror? 
No. I don't usually watch that. But I've met him, and he's the sweetest guy. Oh, no. I'm he sure he's sweet. Adorable. But mm-hmm. I also have comments on his acting because it was very limited. In <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is very, very limited. But he is, he is very I'm sweet. I'm sorry. When you're directing somebody as drunk, the first thing that you don't say is, I'm drunk. <laughs> no. 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 You pretend that you are not drunk. You try and hold it together. No, you... that, that's absolutely true. I read uh, Michael Caine's first autobiography years ago, and he talks about that, that it was a great piece of advice he got from it's like like fucking Lawrence Olivier or someone but it's basically like a your problem he's just telling Michael your problem is you're trying to play a drunk like a drunk man is pretending to be sober it's like <laughs> yeah, oh it's, my it's, god it's, it's genius yeah <laughs> but um when I told my friend like it's not the best movie and I said <clears throat> there are other more deserving movies like something like Weekend is such a masterpiece because mm, it's something yeah. that I'd never seen before which is a film about two gay people that isn't focusing necessarily on them being gay. My like, favorite thing, so when I show that to straight people, is they're like, you can have sex face to face? Yes. Yes. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> yes. <sighs> but it's a movie, it's a movie that sexuality isn't a narrative impetus. It's just a character trait. And yeah. that's what I like about certain movies that have come out lately like the it's favorite it's not about aids it's no, not about it's not like coming, coming out. out yeah but like the favorite i love that movie so much not only oh. because of the lead characters yeah but also because it doesn't kind of it doesn't try and shy away or try and turn their sexuality into some major plot point it's just a they, part of yeah, yeah it's it's part of their dynamic yeah. versus something like mary queen of scots where it just kind of tries to inundate you with like there's a gay character and we're gonna <laughs> accept him because he's different i i still want to see um isn't it romantic because i heard that it, it makes fun of that fact in movies it does i have seen it is it good it's 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 fine for what it is like it knows what it wants to be and it mostly succeeds at it but yeah, yeah like there when she goes into the fantasy world she has a gay best friend who is like they even point out like the most stereotypical thing like he doesn't have a job he just shows up whenever he's got ridiculous stories he's constantly doing like ridiculous stretches and stuff and then when she gets out of the fantasy they they bring that back around in a way that's actually really funny and there are so many movies that do that and like when Jonathan and I were watching A Christmas Prince, there was one character... <laughs> God, you queens. There was one character that was inevitably supposed to be gay, but I could not tell you a single yeah. fact about him. Yeah. Because he was just given a bunch of... Sh- and then when we tried to figure... Because they didn't necessarily say he was gay. It just got to a point where we were like, okay, I think he's gay. And then they finally show that at the end when they're at New Year's or Christmas or yeah. something. And it's just like, oh, I brought my date. Oh, I brought your date. We're going to go out and party and it's like okay he's with the guy he's definitely, <laughs> he's definitely gay. gay he is definitely, <laughs> he's gay. definitely gay it's like make us question it a little bit yeah. um oh the question i want to ask do you find in latino culture do you um on top of just like the way sort of there is this strange somewhat segregation amongst um you know people in gay culture in general is there a segregation in latino culture like do you find mm. that like you know, being Mexican, like, and being Puerto Rican, do they put, is that like a separate box that people try and put each other in? And um, I wouldn't say necessarily a separate box, but it is something that is fundamentally a part of it because uh, if you're not Mexican, you don't like to be called a Mexican. Yeah. 
a mm. lot of people try and lump it in as you're brown, therefore you must be Mexican. And so many people get offended by that because it's a different heritage and it's a different culture. And whereas I can speak towards my Mexican culture as I know it, because mm. it's kind of whitewashed since I was born in California and don't speak Spanish myself, but I can't speak to somebody who is of Puerto Rican descent and the things that they do, or somebody who's of Cuban descent and the things that they do, or any of the South American countries, because it's different, even down to our dialects, and some of the words that we use are completely different. Yeah, because I know I've I've been told that, um, at least in in some some ways in, like, African-American gay culture, um, that there is some extra forms of, like, segregation, like skin tones and stuff like that. If you're light-skinned, you're definitely segregated. But in... um, Mexican culture, I mean... So I don't know if there's, like, you know... There are some aspects of Mexican culture where the more light-skinned you are, the more... I don't I don't want to say featured you are, but there's definitely an upstairs-downstairs kind it's of that, thing. It's that passing thing, I think you, I've heard you say it as. There's like, there are some people yeah. that can extremely pass. I mean, my... Passing is white is what that means. Yes. <laughs> Just making sure. <laughs> my, my Mormon aunt... I gather aunt, from context, please. My Mormon aunt um, can definitely pass as white, and most of my aunts and uncles can pass for white, but I myself cannot, because, you know, I've, <laughs> I've got all this melanin on me. <laughs> but even in terms of media, because whenever I would watch a telenovela, it's skewed more towards the lighter skin, whereas whenever you got into kind of the slum area, so, like, one of my favorite telenovelas is Maria La Del Barrio. <laughs> but Still on Netflix? No, it's gone. <laughs> it was so sad. It's I had the... to I had to rush through all 190 episodes because it was leaving. To so give our to give our listeners a scene, it's that scene that had gone viral. It's the one that had that scene that went viral where like you see the woman walking in the room and it like does that like zoom close up and then suddenly everyone like this one woman is kicking the crap out of everyone. Okay. Like the so cripple girl it, and all of that. And like, so there was this viral clip. The character's name is Soraya Montenegro. Um, she discovered that the boy that she was dating and it was a boy, he was like supposed to be 15 years old <laughs> and he was the son of Maria La Del Barrio. Um, he was kissing her invalid stepdaughter who was bound to a wheelchair her name was i think alicia anyway so he kissed her and then all of a sudden she came into the room and she's just like what are you doing and then she just starts slapping the shit out of this girl in the wheelchair and it became viral just because of that but the entire series if you watch it all of the wealthy people are lighter skinned. Mm-hmm. They are definitely lighter skinned. Whereas where you get down to the slums, and the only reason that they feature the slums is because Maria La Del Barrio was from the slums and rose to prominence. <laughs> but even Thalia, the lead actress, is lighter skinned. So like in order to make her seem kind of rough around the edges, they just added a bunch of dirt to her face. Oh god. And so they go back to the slums because when she was crazy, she gave up her baby to some like candy lady she she her husband okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna try and explain the story so she got married to luis fernando and then they had sex and she got pregnant and he went away for business and his brother came back and his brother was in love with maria la del barrio but 
she was like, I'm married to Luis Fernando. I can never betray him. And then the husband saw this and he was like, oh, you slept with my brother. I'm going to divorce you. We're going to get a divorce. And she's like, but Luis Fernando, I'm pregnant. He was like, oh, it's probably my brother's baby. And then she just slowly goes crazy. And then she's just kind of like this feral animal just walking the streets. And she goes into labor and she's at the hospital and they're like, oh, here's your baby, ma'am. And she's like, no, that's not my baby. Like, I need Luis Fernando. And then she's just walking the streets with this baby. And she sees some lady who's just like, oh, I'm selling candies. You want a candy? And she's like, like, can you hold my baby while I take a phone call? And she just leaves the baby with her. <laughs> and then, so, like, the baby's raised by all these people who are just people of color. They're the darker-skinned people. They're the Cubans, the Puerto Ricans. They're, like, the tall. There's a very tall guy. In it. He seems like a giant. <laughs> but everybody is of darker skin because they're from the slums. And so that's kind of, like an upstairs downstairs categorization uh, that you get with that skin tone. Now, in terms of gay culture, I don't think that they would necessarily recognize that. I think it's just when you are Mexican, you kind of are that brown person of color. But it and it but it doesn't become like clicky like, you know, sort of Oh no. Met, like if you like Puerto Ricans ostracize Mexican like stuff like that. I haven't noticed that. I mean, most of my friends, my like immediate friend group, we are because I've also Mexican. noticed that's a little bit in some of the Asian like gay cultures. Like some people will like not like being around Japanese people. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have friends who are like Korean, and some of them don't like being around like Chinese. And it's just it. It's a very interesting sort of. Well, I think that also that has to do with dynamics of culture and yeah. especially war. Yeah. <laughs> I think that adds a certain element to it. That whole but, thing. But that's why I was you know, I was wondering if the if the same thing existed because I know certain things happen and I was wondering if there was a certain kind of like equivalent to that and No, I never really had a problem with anybody that was of a different descent. But in terms of like my immediate friends, I've noticed that most of them tend to be Mexican or of Mexican descent. Um but I don't really know that many Puerto Rican people. I don't think that's by choice. I think I that's like just I mean, happenstance. I feel like I meet a ton of Puerto Rican people all the time. Well, I haven't met any of them. I also don't. <laughs> I don't go out that often. <laughs> that's <so>. very true. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. No, I do have a very important question though. Did Maria find her baby? Where Where okay. did the baby go? See, this is the funny <laughs> thing. Is like he tried to get me in, into them, and I found his recaps much more riveting. Yeah, I don't know if I would want to watch this show, but I could definitely listen a, to you talk a about it. Season of a telenovela is what, like fifty episodes? Oh. oh no, a season of a telenovela. They don't have seasons. Yeah, it's it just, just played every single day. Yeah, it just goes. So, so when it was on Netflix, there was no season. It was just like a hundred something episodes. Yeah. So uh, Maria God. eventually Maria eventually finds her baby and. She she recognizes it as she's going to the opera, and then she's just like, "That looks like my baby," even though I don't know how she could recognize. Yeah, like, it was a baby, six-year-old child, all child. Yeah, yeah. But and then later on in life, she discovered him, and I think he was about fifteen years old. And they go through this whole drama where she wants to tell him, but she tells the mother, and the mother's just like, "No, you're gonna take my baby away. I'm gonna steal him, and we're gonna go on a train for like." I don't know, Canada or America or somewhere. And then they go on the train and then Maria's just like, we got to find my baby. And they go through this rush and she's reunited. And she's like, I'm your mother. And he's like, oh my God. And then, <laughs> and then Soraya Montenegro, cause she was the primary 
antagonist in the beginning. She wanted to marry Luis Fernando, but she couldn't because he didn't love her. He secretly loved Marila Del Barrio, but he didn't want to be with her because she was just a slum. He thought that all women are terrible. Um, Chris is riveted. I am. This is amazing. So... um, Soraya got into the situation where she was going to blackmail the family, but then she got pushed out a window. And so, she was defenestrated? <laughs> yes. I love that word. She ended up in Texas where she was having an operation to regain like mobility and all that. And then she met Alicia and she's just like, oh, you're a terrible like invalid cripple girl. I don't want to deal with you. But then she saw that she had a wealthy father. I was like, okay, I can deal with this. <laughs> she ends up marrying the father, killing the father, and then they move back to Mexico just so that they can harass Maria La Del Barrio. And she realized that the only way she can get back at Maria La Del Barrio <laughs> is by sleeping with her son, <gasps> who is 15 years old. <laughs> and she provides him alcohol. <laughs> There's a lot of great stories. There's also Penelope. Oh my God, Penelope was great. She slept with Luis Fernando when Maria La Del Barrio was crazy, and then she started blackmailing him. And then when Maria La Del Barrio, because what happens is, I think it was Alicia's maid, when she gets pummeled by Soraya, she goes into a coma, and then they blame um, the son. And he's like, I could never do that. I could never do that. And then Maria La Del Barrio is like, I will take the blame. I will be the sacrificial lamb. So then she goes to jail. The son is just like, I could never dis- defend somebody who tried to murder. And it's just like, you just got accused of murder. Like, you already know she didn't do it. And she's in jail with Penelope. And Penelope is just like, oh, you're terrible. I'm going to give you a terrible time. And then they, <laughs> then somebody starts a fire. <laughs> and then Maria gets amnesia and goes to work for somebody else. I think he's like a doctor and he falls in love with her. <laughs> so, so, is, is, so is our telenovelas strictly... Um, Mexican culture, or are they are they across no, the board? They're across the board, um, but the primary ones that get the most recognition are the Mexican ones. And so, like, wh- <laughs> one of my favorite, my one of my other favorites is Carita de Angel, which is about this little girl. It's basically like Mexican Madeline, okay. except it's this rich girl. Her f- mother died. And her father's kind of been absent, but he tries to be back in her life. She goes to this, like, abandoned church at her private school and discovers that her mother, who is an angel, comes down from heaven to give her advice on life and all that. She has a talking dog. (gasps) She has an aunt named Tia Pelucas, which means Aunt Wiggs. She she never actually shows her hair. She just also always has a colorful wig, but it's always a different color in the same style. She's amazing. Oh, my God. Um, and then the father, he falls in love with a nun who works there. And she's just like, oh, I can't. I'm a bride of Christ. And he's like, oh, I can't. Like, you're a bride of Christ. And then the the mother's just like, no, it's your destiny. you got to get them together. So this tiny little girl is like, oh, i got to get them together. And then they get together. And then they have a baby. But so much more drama comes along because 
Tia Peluca, she marries some guy, she has a baby, but then it turns out that he had a high school sweetheart that he got pregnant, and she turned out to have cancer, so then he has to take care of the baby, and she's this evil, like, 19-year-old girl who always says, claro que si, which means, like, sure. <laughs> and then she, like, somehow gets some, like, drug smuggling, like, robbers involved, and they try and steal Carita de Angel, and then, like he dies in quicksand or something <laughs> god remember when quicksand was a thing oh my god like the, everyone's childhood fear <laughs> getting I, sucked I, like, quicksand. I love the thing that went around the internet for a while where it was like you know growing up i thought quicksand was going to be much more of a problem as an adult than it really is yeah, I know. <laughs> but the telenovelas are just great because they're a source of drama they're did just... you ever watch ava longoria's telenovela show oh god no <laughs> no, that, no that is a whitewash show because when, I don't think it's on anymore. I don't even know. No, I think it's canceled. But when you, when you watch a telenovela, a lot of my friends have commented when I talk about it, and they're just like, "That sounds terrible," or like the clips you showed me, they have terrible graphics or terrible this, terrible oh, that. I think it sounds amazing. It, yeah. And I tell a lot of people like, no, when you watch it, you're not watching for any good quality TV. You're watching for just the drama. Yeah. You're watching intensely for that villain. Because she is over the top, because she's ready to kill a bitch. Yeah. Well, and I love it too, because that's what defines so much of culture now. It is the crazy over the top melodrama. It's like we were talking before we started recording about why I'm not a super fan of Drag Race, what I've seen, because it's super melodramatic and it's like quote unquote reality TV. And that's what everyone goes to anyway. So now why not watch something that's also scripted and like very heightened and fun? Well, with Drag Race, a lot of the problem is, is that binary of if you're a drag queen you have to present as femme yeah and those are primarily the queens that end up winning in the end are the ones that can present as femme and show that part in rare instances you get somebody like a sharon needles that wins i always love the weird ones yeah mm -hmm. and she won primarily because she was able to compromise she was able to show her spooky side but then she was like i'm gonna present like a woman just to give you what you want so yeah. that you're not going to complain about it next week. But mm -hmm. everybody else who doesn't really want to compromise with their style is criticized and immediately kind of voted off for whatever reason. And if you've been watching from the start of the show, Chris, why would I have been watching? <laughs> when, when did the show come on? When did but it start? You, you'll notice that like, as you go through like the earlier seasons to the later seasons, like a lot of the more recent seasons, like it's all about like, it's no longer about like who's, like a funny queen or who is like, um, you know, creative and stuff like that. It's a lot more about like who can pa pass as female or who is like the fishiest queen. And yeah. more recently it's about the mainstreamification of drag because when it was on logo, they were able to do a lot more raunchy things, a mm -hmm. lot more God, I in miss your those face days. stuff. But once they came to VH1, it seems like they kind of dulled that edge. And so if you watch mm, season okay. nine, the one thing that I hated, and I'm sure most people hated, was that like mirror, every, the tragedy mirror where everybody just <laughs> was like, hey, who's gone to Russia? Anybody gone to Russia before? Let's talk about that. Hey, who has an eating disorder? Yeah. Let's like, talk about that. It became clearly like, you could hear the producer being like, you should bring up the fact that that person like tested positive last week. And it's like, so like, since you tested positive, how have you been dealing with that? And it's like out of nowhere. 
as they're just like doing their eye makeup and every every topic was like that so how did it feel cynthia that like now that you're free of cancer i'm like <laughs> yeah, and, what the fuck and that's why i skew more to, i still love drag race and i'll still watch it intensely but like when you give me something as dramatic as a telenovela i'm gonna watch <laughs> you can watch that instead that. so jose is there a like a movie or a show or like some piece of culture you'd recommend for someone to watch if they really want to get a better understanding of specifically queer Latinx culture? Like what, what is something you think would help Ooh, if like you, convey that sense? Um, okay. So Netflix's one day at a time is amazing. I, I, people keep talking about this, that it's really, really good. Yeah. It's really great. Cause the original was about white people, but mm-hmm. um, this updated it. version is about, I believe they're Puerto Rican, or they're supposed to be Puerto. Is that is it Rita no, Moreno's they're show? Not, they're not Puerto Rican. I can't remember. Yeah, it's Rita Moreno. Okay, they're Cuban. Cuban. Okay. So um, one of the supporting characters is a lesbian. So it's the daughter of the central lead. She's a, identifies as lesbian, mm-hmm. but she has a relationship, and her girlfriend. Well, you can't term her girlfriend because she's non-binary. Mm-hmm. She identifies as they, them. And so it's just her kind of traveling down that relationship and her family also kind of reacting to it. And not so much that they kind of push her away. but that it. There we go. <laughs> it says I'm a 95% match. Oh. They kind of accept <laughs> her and just make fun of her for being really awkward. Because okay. she really is an awkward character. Mm-hmm. But... I just love the shit out of that show. Yeah, I've heard good things about it, and I know there's kind of a movement right now to try and get more subscribers to keep it going. Because I think it's like teetering on the edge of cancellation, I want to say. I have no idea. I don't know how Netflix works those things. Yeah. They just do data. Yeah. I mean, there are some shows I'm surprised are still going, but... But in terms of other pieces of pop culture, obviously Selena. Mm -hmm. And I would watch the movie Selena. Yeah, we're going to have to do Selena. Yeah, we're going to have to. (laughs) Oh my God, Selena... The Selena movie when little Selena is learning how to do the washing machine and then she does that montage where she just kind of spins and she turns into Jennifer Lopez. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> or my my other favorite part, I think it was Willem that said this. He was talking about Selena. He was like, yeah, you know, things would have gone differently if she had caught that rose in that dream that she had. Because there's a scene right before she dies where she goes out on stage and she's ready to sing Dreaming of You. And she starts singing it. And then she gets to the chorus and somebody throws a rose at her and she doesn't catch it. And it's like, oh my God, she's going to die. And this is getting real. And so Willem was just like, yeah, she caught that rose. Things would have ended differently. But (laughs) I saw it at Hollywood forever. And (laughs) when it got to that moment, everybody was having so much fun. It was such a wonderful night. They even had a gay mariachi band and it was great. (laughs) But... um, when it got to that moment, when it was the dream sequence, everybody knew what was happening. And there was one guy behind us. He was like, can we stop the movie now? Can we stop it right now? Like, we already know the ending. Let's let's just forget that it ever happened. <laughs> um, but in terms of other cultural elements, I would definitely seek out Thalia. Because um, she did some interesting telenovelas, including Maria La Del Barrio. She did Maria Mercedes. And Marimar, oh my God, if, you, if you've never heard the theme song to Marimar, sing it to any Mexican, they will immediately respond to you with, ow! <laughs> it's fucking fantastic. Marimar is great. And she also did this one called Rosalinda, which 
I never saw it, but it was another one of those, like, she's in love with the guy, she gets married to the guy, and then I think she gets amnesia. But um, <laughs> It's always amnesia. I, I just always loved that theme song, because I was like, oh, it's a play on, ro- on words, because it's Rosa Linda, which means beautiful rose, but it's actually, like, her name is Rosalinda. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So clever. Let's see what they're doing. Yeah. Or, or what, was, what the hell is her name? Um... I think it's like Laura Leon. He has the most ridiculous memory about like. I know this is very very impressive. I don't know how you do it half. I have like a good visual memory, but like you remember lines and phrases, and I'm like. So there's there's an actress slash singer named Laura Laura Leon who was in telenovelas, but she was also a recording star. She is amazing. She's just. I don't know how to describe her looks. She just seems like what you'd identify as a cougar. Um, <laughs> but she's always wearing these skimpy-ass dresses. And she was in this telenovela called Dos Mujeres, Un Camino, which means two women, one truck, <laughs> which starred Eric Estrada. And it was, initially, oh my God. it was initially only supposed to be like 150 episodes, but because it was so popular, they extended it to like 200 and something. I do love that. Like with these telenovelas, there is like literally no subtext. No. It is just yeah. there. It's just right no, there you on don't the need subtext. <laughs> like you just need the way. drama. And they are. Get Tell, right to the point. Yeah. Telenovelas always give you the best part, which is the makeover, because they always have a character who's ugly. I who remember that in Maria Del Barrio. Well, yeah, but also if you ever watch Amigas y Rivales, which is it's basically like frenemies is how you would translate it, even though it's really just like friends and rivals. There was a character I forget her name. But she was just supposed to be like ugly and dorky and whatever. And then they got her really hot and they were like, let's introduce you to contact lenses. And she's like, okay. (laughs) And then they just say that she goes to some college on a scholarship and that her cousin came by. Her cousin is so hot, is just like wearing this midriff and she's chewing gum. And she's just like, where do I sit? And the teacher's like, oh, wherever there's an open seat. And she's like, oh, can I sit on this radiator right now? Can I sit on his lap? It's like, wow, you went from like <laughs> zero to 60 <laughs> in the span of a minute. Oh, God. Well, uh, Jose, as we're wrapping up here, uh, do you have anything you like you want to plug anything you're working on? Or do you want people to know your social media handles at all? They can reach out to you and get advice on which telenovelas they should be watching. See Uh-oh. your killer looks. Well, I'd have to activate that account because I don't remember that social media. Well, you media. put something on your regular one. No, I, I deleted them all from there because I just solely put them on that one, but I forgot what the handle was. Anyway, my social media account for Instagram <laughs> is Criterion OOP. That's all one word, and it's not Criterion Oop. As many people, <laughs> one person called it Criterion Poop, and I said, that is definitely not my social media. One handle. of those might have been me. It was probably <laughs> both me. It. <laughs> it, 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 it so many questions. What what does the OOP stand for? Okay. Is your entire Instagram just photos of your Criterion collection? No. Uh, so when I first got into Criterion, um, I for those that don't know, that is a super fan film. It's collection. a boutique uh, label that okay. you know they Special preserve. Editions. Yeah, they preserve a lot of contemporary and classic films. But um, I joined this group called Criterion out of print and they uh, had okay. a picture that just said like criterion oop motherfucker 
And I was just like, that is a clever name. So any chance I got, and if anybody out here steals that handle from me, I will murder you. (laughs) (laughs) That is a guarantee. Because so far I have not had any problems getting Criterion OOP. But I'm watching. (laughs) I'm watching. And if if anybody out there has that handle, I will murder. (laughs) You're well trained in the art of murder. I will be like Soraya Montenegro. (laughs) I will get my vengeance. (laughs) You have hours and hours and hours of training on this. Um, but yeah, I'm just on Instagram. Uh, not really anything in particular, because right now I'm working my three jobs like any good millennial, and yep. none of them are really lucrative or, you know, beneficial. <laughs> <laughs> Enough to support your poster and criterion habit. And oh yeah, I have an intense poster habit. <laughs> I'm I'm up to like 317 movie posters. Yeah. When are you gonna just get get them restored? I need a gallery. Yeah, it sounds like it. Really space. do. We'll get you a gallery space. Everybody needs I don't know how. <laughs> Somebody will get it. We'll make it happen. You need an apartment like Chris's. Yeah, I have a lot of blank walls right now. But see, I would have to cover up those windows. Oh, like God, those. no. It's like the only natural light in the place. That's no, all I've got. I, you can never have a poster and have natural light. That's just asking for it to get destroyed. Oh, I know. I got to put like filters on my posters here because they're going to get or ruined. Or you could put... Um, a film on there, like a UV coating, so that oh, can save my couch too. Mm, good girl. All right, well, I gotta get going now. I gotta go buy some UV filters to save my apartment. But Jose, thanks so much for joining us yes. and for and making me slightly more knowledgeable. I'm excited to have you back for other things. For first period. For first period. For first period. For first period. For, Selena. for Selena. <laughs> and, and Selena. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. And bye. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, bye. that part, too. I'm like, why are you and looking bye. at me? I'm like, bye. <laughs> Goodbye, America. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, smooth America. transition out. <laughs> All about the smooth transitions. Uh. Thanks for listening to Gay at Four. The podcast is produced by Chris Lord and Jonathan James and edited by Chris Lord. Music by Chris Humans and Colin Diaz. Artwork by Cameron Dexter. Please subscribe and review on iTunes. Follow the podcast at Gate Forward on Instagram and YouTube and at Gate Forward Pod on Facebook and Twitter. Got an idea for an episode? Send us an email at gateforwardpod at gmail.com. Thanks and stay fabulous.